Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be uh, again in the house of the Lord. It's a real blessing to be here and indeed uh, to be able to share the word of God with you. Before we start, can we just open the word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you again for this wonderful time where we could come and learn more from your word and look at the things around us in this world. And Lord, to look in our hearts to prepare ourselves to do the work you've provided for us Lord Lord we know that there's a world lost out there and we know that there are many evil things that happens in this world and Lord we know the only way that uh, this can be counted is through the preaching of your word Lord Lord we pray Lord that you prepare each and every one of our hearts here today Lord and prepare us for this message Lord we pray Lord that you'd also um, hide me behind your cross Lord and that I may be able to talk and preach the words that you have put into my heart, Lord. We pray, Lord, you just guide us, guide me today. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we'd be attentive to the word, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> it's been a little while since I've preached here. A couple of months, I think. And um, it's always... Uh, um, always apprehensive to, to preach at a, a pulpit. There's many, many judgments that await for people if they don't preach the right, uh, the right word. And uh, there's many people here would also stand up against you. So um, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, because they all believe in the truth. I just want to... Um, today's message, um, it's quite a sad message. The last couple of weeks or months, we've been going through Matthew chapter 24, Pastor Frank. And Eddie even preached on Matthew chapter 24. I was planning actually a, a Christmas message. However, in light of the events that has taken part, uh, 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 events taken has happened over this past week, the Lord has prompted me to preach a different message. So can we just turn to Matthew 24? And we'll start in Matthew 24. I hope everyone has warmed up their fingers because we'll probably be going through a lot of scripture as we normally do in this church, which is a good thing. So what we're going to do is read from Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to read from verses 3, and we'll start there. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, 
and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. This week that has gone by has been a real shocking and bloody week. Each day seem, seems to have another story in the news of incredible violence, death, bloodshed. It started on December the 14th. Boko Haram, an Islamic terrorist group, kidnapped 185 women and children and killed 32 men in the northeast of Nigeria. To date this year, there have been over 2,000 people killed in that area, in that particular area. The next day, on May, uh, on Monday, the 15th of December, a 50-year-old self-styled Islamic cleric took 17 people hostage at a popular downtown cafe in Sydney. He forced the hostages to hold up Islamic flags, stating that their God was greater and that he only had one prophet. After a standoff of 17 hours, on the 16th of December, the police stormed the cafe and the gunman was killed. In the process, two hostages, Katrina Dawson, age 38, a mother of three children, and Tori Johnson, age 34, was killed. Prior to this event, no one in Australia, and probably the world, would have expected an event such as this to take place in Sydney. Everyone expected maybe another place to be attacked, probably the USA, maybe Great Britain, but not here in Australia. In the days following the events, we saw the news filled with stories of relief and gratitude of the survivors who were not killed in this event. <coughs> on the same day, on the 16th of December, when the police stormed this cafe in Sydney, the Taliban attacked the school in Pakistan. The school housed about a thousand students, both boys and girls. A student who survived the attack said, the gunmen entered the classroom shouting their God was greater and started shooting and killing innocent and defenseless children and school teachers. I wanted to read a quote from the Australian on Thursday the 18th of December from a student that survived the ordeal. The gunmen shouted their God was greater before opening fire. I saw a pair of big black boots coming towards me. This guy was probably hunting for students, hiding beneath the benches. Chakra felt searing pain as he was shot in both legs below the, below the knees. He decided to play dead. The man with big boots kept looking for students and pumping bullets into their bodies. My body was shivering. I saw death so close. I saw death so close. 132 children and nine staff were killed in that event. 
after shooting these children and teachers, these, guns, these gunmen shouted their God was greater and blew themselves up as suicide bombers. <clears throat> the week didn't end there. On Friday the 19th of December, a young man walked into a home in Cairns to find eight of his siblings stabbed to death. These children were aged from 18 months to 15 years old. <clears throat> With all this bloodshed and violence in the world, in the news this past week, it has been a really difficult time for those families and their losses. We need to really, as a church, pray for all those families, each and every one of them, who have lost a loved one suddenly, so quickly. The events that took place in Cairns and Sydney brings it so close to home and forces us to think about our lives and about eternity. What should we do in that what would we do in that situation? Turn to Mark chapter 13. <coughs> we'll read a similar section of, as Matthew chapter 24. Read from verse 1. As he, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said, saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple. Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign when these things shall be fulfilled. And Jesus answered them, beginning to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But then shall not be yet, for nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginnings of sorrows. But take heed to yourself, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my, my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be preached among all nations. But when they lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye uh, premeditate but whatsoever you shall uh, be given you in that hour that speak ye for if it is not ye that speak but the Holy Ghost now brother shall betray the brother to death and father the son and children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake but he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved Please move down to um, uh, verse uh, 21. And then, if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise, and shall shew signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold, foretold you all things. 
Today, I really wanted to focus on verses 5 and 6, which says, Jesus answered them, uh, began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And verse 21 to 23. And if any man shall say uh, to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall arise, and shall shew, uh, shew signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, and behold, I foretold you all things. The title of today's message is Deception. I wanted to focus today's sermon on the three incidents earlier in the week. These three events focus on the Islamic religion. In these events, we have a number of people believing in a religion. It is estimated that around 1.5 billion people follow this religion, around 20% of the world. According to Islam, Jesus was a Muslim and a prophet of their religion. And the God of the Quran is the same God as the Bible. What we'll do with today's sermon is we'll investigate some of these claims and uh, see if it is true. All translations that I've used from, for the Quran is actually from um, the translation of Yusuf Ali. Many um, true, true Muslims will say that you cannot understand the Quran unless you read in Arabic. And the true full extent of the Quran will only come out in Arabic. However, if you do not read Arabic, then it's a problem. And um, when someone has to tell you that this Arabic sentence means this, you have no recourse because you don't read Arabic. So um, there are a number of translations of the Quran, and I've just chosen Yusuf Ali. Uh, I think he's was been around for quite a while compared to some of the modern ones. The first claim I want to look at is: Is Allah of the Quran the same? God, uh, same as the God of the Bible. The Quran in Surah 573 uh, says, They do blaspheme who say Allah is one of three in a trinity, for there is no God except one Allah. This, this verse from the Quran tells us that Allah is not only one and not, uh, is only one and not a trinity. In comparison to the Bible, the Bible tells us many times that God is the Trinity. Let's go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And we'll look there. Genesis chapter 1. And we'll look at verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 says, And God said, Let us, Make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. God said, let us make man in our image. God is plural, not singular. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're looking at verse 16 and 17. 
the baptism of Jesus Christ. Verse 16 says, And when he was baptized, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here we have a Spirit of God descending. We have a voice from heaven, God the Father, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is his beloved Son. Three parts of the Trinity, all here mentioned. Turn to Matthew 28, just a few chapters further. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19. This is Christ's commandment before his last command to each and every one of us believers. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Three parts of the Trinity. Clearly, Allah, the God of the Quran, is not the same God as the God of the Bible. Well, let's look at another claim. What does, the, what does the Quran say about Jesus? Is he the Son of God? Surah 19.35 says, It is not befitting to the majesty of Allah that he should beget a son. Surah 5.72 says, They do blaspheme who say Allah is Christ, the Son of Mary. Clearly, these two verses show that Jesus is not the Son of God. And that God does not have a son. And God would even detest having a son. It is blasphemous for the Quran, in the, from the Quran to call Jesus the Son of God. What does the Bible say? Let's look at Luke. Luke chapter 1. I'll read from verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God in, unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when, he, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. And when Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Turn to John. Let's go to John chapter 3. 
John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Matthew chapter 3. Verse 17. And a voice, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John chapter 3, verse 16, we see that God begot a Son, exactly the opposite to what the Quran states. Matthew 3, 17, we see that God Himself declares that Jesus is His beloved Son. Total difference. So there's a different Jesus under the Quran, and there's a different God in the Quran. Well, one of the key foundations of Christianity is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross as an atonement for our sin, a sinless sacrifice. It was nailed to the cross, shed his blood, so that anyone who believes in him will have eternal life. So the question we have to ask ourselves is. What does the Quran say about Jesus' death on the cross? Well, Surya 4, verse 157 says, that, that they said, in boast, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. But they killed him not, nor crucified him. But so it was made to appear to them, and those who differ therein are full of doubts with no certain knowledge, but only follow for, uh, follow for of a surety they killed him not. The Quran says that Jesus did not die on the cross. It was just an illusion. It only appeared that Jesus died. In contrast, the Bible has numerous verses on the death of Christ. We can look at Matthew 27, uh, verses 32 to 38, Matthew, Mark 15 from 21 to 26, Luke 23, 26 to 33. But I want to read it, uh, John. We go to John chapter 19. And this John chapter 19. And we're looking at verse 25 to John chapter 19, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. Thus there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon a hyssop, and put it to, uh, to his mouth. And when, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Turn a little bit further on to Romans. We're going to Romans 14. Romans chapter 14, 
in verse 9. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Another scripture showing that Christ dies. And the last one is 1 Thessalonians. Verse 44. 1 Thessalonians verse 4 and verse 14. Not one Thessalonians. Yeah, no, it's not one Thessalonians. Yeah, one Thessalonians verses uh, chapter four, uh, four, verse fourteen. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring them, uh, bring with him. There another scripture that says clearly that Jesus died. These verses clearly declare that Jesus died on the cross. So why is this so important? Why is this so important? Please go back to Mark chapter 14. Mark 14. And we read that verse 5 and verse 6 again. And Jesus answered, them beginning and began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 21. And then if any man say to you, Lo, here is Christ, for lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and show many signs and wonders, to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. Jesus warns us not to be deceived with false Christs or anointed ones or false prophets. Islam claims to be a religion which is the culmination of Judaism and Christianity and was completed by their prophet in the early 7th century. Islam believes that the angel Gabriel appeared to their prophet around the age of 40 and revealed the Quran to him over the next 23 years. In the few examples that we've just um, gone through from the Quran, we have seen that Allah is not the same God as the God of the Bible. We see also that Islam says that Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus did not die for our sins. Jesus was not crucified. Jesus was not divine, as well as being human. Jesus is not the Savior of the world. The Bible contradicts each and every one of the claims of Islam. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Son of God. He led a sinless life. He died on the cross, a perfect sacrifice for everyone who believeth in Him. He rose again the third day and He ascended into heaven. The Quran believes that Jesus is only a prophet and Muhammad was greater than Jesus and also the final prophet to come. However, Jesus was sinless and perfect, but Muhammad was not. The Hadith, which was also one of the um, Islamic holy scriptures, states that their prophet was a sinner. The Hadith, book 12, verses 711, says, The prophet said, O Allah, set me apart from my sins, 
faults, as the east and the west are set apart from each other, and clean me from sins, as a white garment is cleaned of dirt. Allah wash my sins with water, snow and hail. Clearly here we see that the Prophet himself is unclean, he is a sinner, and has to ask his God to cleanse him from sin. This is not what Jesus is. Jesus led a sinless life. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Islam follows the wrong gospel, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Muhammad claimed to follow the teachings of Abraham through Ishmael. But the Bible says, Genesis chapter 17. Let's go to Genesis chapter 17. What is verse 21? Genesis chapter 17, verse 21. This is God saying, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. God is declaring that the covenant is coming through Isaac, not Ishmael. Let's turn to Galatians. Chapter, two, chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say we now again, if any man preach another gospel, uh, where was I? Uh, preach another gospel unto you than that ye have received let him be accursed Muhammad has preached another gospel contrary to the Bible which he had it is estimated 1.5 billion people follow this religion as I said earlier 20% of the world population 1.5 billion people destined for help because they have been deceived with a lie turn to Proverbs chapter 27 Proverbs chapter 27 verse 20 what does it say there? Hell and destruction are never full. Hell and destruction are never full. 1.5 billion people will go to hell. And hell will not be full. They will have enough space for the 1.5 billion people. If these people do not get saved, they are destined for the place. Many, for many years, we have seen the threat of Islam on many nations. We have seen how Christians have been persecuted for their faith in North Africa, the Middle East. We have seen bombings by groups of Islamic fundamentalists in India, London. We have a big example of the September 11 bombings of the Twin Towers, the Pentagon. 
where they use planes as bombs. One of the most recent attacks, the most recent events, is the one that took place in Sydney, where a Muslim cleric took 17 people hostage, forcing them to hold up flags proclaiming his Islamic faith. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we fight against this evil that is spreading across the world and threatening every unbeliever of Islam? How do we fight against this? <clears throat> Turn to Revelation. We're going to Revelation chapter 3. Verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, I have these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white, rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him, and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. First, we need to realize where we are. This passage of scripture clearly describes the current state of the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. The churches are refusing to stand firm on the word of God. The churches are vacillating between people's opinion. Instead of standing firm on the word of God and saying, Thus saith the Lord, they don't. They listen to what other people's opinions are and choose to look at the majority. The church has also been through a long period of peace and quiet and have grown rich in material belongings, focusing on careers retirements, holiday homes, wealth, forgetting the weightier, more important matters of men's souls. Verse 18 says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. Christ tells us to buy gold tried in the fire. Have we been tried in the fire? Verse 19 says, 
As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Christ says, as many as he loves, he rebukes and chastens. We are to be zealous. We are supposed to repent. There's a time of trials and testing ahead. The Lord has promised to rebuke and chasten us, the church, for following off the material positions because he loves us. Our, fire, our faith is going to be tested, tested and tried in the fire. The question is, are you ready for that? Are you ready? What if one of you were in that cafe and was asked to put up that flag and forced and said, you put up the flag or you die? What will you do? Will you stand to your faith and say, I'm a Christian? I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Would you be able to stand up and say that? Or have we all gone soft? Not focusing on the, what the real things are in the world. We need to get zealous now and be obedient to His Word. We are not, we are not to take up swords or guns to fight against this threat. As a church and as Christians, we're not meant to do that. Our war is a spiritual war. Let's look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We read from verse 10. To verse 17. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the word and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, Stand therefore, having your loins girt, girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and on your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil, uh, of the wicked. Take heed, and take the, take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is... The word of God. We are, we are told to put on the whole armor of God. But we are only given one weapon. One weapon. The weapon that we have is the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. We are to share with everyone the true gospel of Jesus Christ. How powerful is the sword that we have been given? I'll turn to Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews, chapter 4. How powerful is the Word of God? How powerful is the sword that we've been given to fight the spiritual battle? Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12. It says here, The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow 
and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God is more powerful than any weapon that we can even think of or comprehend. More powerful than any weapon that, the, that, that our enemies will have and point against us. We need to share with unbelievers that they are lost sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all the sinners come to the short of the glory of God. For our sins, God, the righteous judge, is justified to send us to hell and eternal death. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. But God, God loved us so much that He sent His Son, His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cruel cross to pay that penalty for us, for anyone who believes in Him. To pay for our penalty of our sin, not His sin. He was sinless. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We should tell unbelievers that it is easy to obtain salvation and that it's not dependent on works. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 to 10 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in him with thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We are Christians, we as Christians should be preaching the gospel. Of Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to Matthew 28. The last commandment that the Lord Jesus gave to us. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We need to obey this commandment. This is the only way to stop the spread of Islam or any other false religion, and the deception of the people. This is the only way. Do we believe this verse that we just read? Do we believe that Christ says, our job is to go out and preach the word? Do we truly believe that? The other question here is, do we also believe that he's always with us? If we truly believe that Christ is always with us, why would we not go and preach? We're not standing out there alone. We're standing with Christ 
with us. If we obey this commandment, we will buy gold tried in the fire from Christ. And we will be truly rich, being clothed in white raiment. If we obey this commandment, our faith will be strengthened. Many of us will pray and say, Lord, strengthen our faith. But we don't obey this commandment. If we don't obey this commandment, how can we expect God to strengthen our faith? We will be able to stand in the evil day. If something happened like what happened in Sydney, here in Melbourne, to one of us, we will be able to stand and say, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. No, we will not hand up, stand up the flag. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, how certain are you of your next breath? Do you say now in your heart, I'm still young, I have plenty of time to follow Jesus. I'll wait till I'm 60, 70, 80. How certain are you? The eight children aged 18 months to 15 years old in Cairns who died would disagree with you. What about the 132 children that were killed in the safety of a school in Pakistan? They would disagree with you. What about the two hostages that were killed in Sydney? Did they know they were going to enter eternity that day when they walked into that cafe? No, I don't believe so. I don't believe anyone expects to enter eternity right now. I want to end with one scripture, which we'll turn to is Deuteronomy. Chapter 30. We all believe that we'll live 20, um, 70, 80 years. If you look at the statistics, lifespan in, of an average Australian would be 79, 80 years. And we all expect that. But those two innocent people in the cafe didn't reach that age. <coughs> I just want to end with this one verse from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. Well, we can st- well, we'll read 15 to 19 from verse 15. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart be turned away, so thou, thou, thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live.
Choose life. Life and death stand before you today. Choose life. Choose life if you're not saved. If you're saved, choose obedience. Choose obedience. If the Lord has spoken to you today, whether you are a believer or unbeliever, please come talk to me um, after the message, after the sermon. Pray the Lord will touch your heart and this message would reduce the